Okay, if you have a Bible with you, please open up to 2 Corinthians 12. Before I get into my sermon, let me just share something that kind of came on my heart during worship this morning. Has anybody here seen the movie Heaven is for Real? It's been on Netflix, it's been out for a while. Um, pretty good movie. Nadine and I, it was out for a while now. Nadine and I only watched it this past week. And it tells the story of a pastor and his family uh, out in somewhere in the Midwest, Nebraska, and a small town. And uh, the son has this supernatural experience where, not quite a near death experience, but he was very sick. And while he was being operated on for a ruptured appendix, I think it was. He, had, he went to heaven, and he had these spiritual experiences. And so, um, I guess this was a fairly conservative church, and so um, it's a small town, and so word gets around that this four-year-old's telling stories of, he's seen this in heaven, he experienced that in heaven, and met this person and that person, and suddenly began, a, began some trouble <laughs> At the church, you would think that heaven would be a rather settled issue, right? That we would believe that heaven is for real and not be so thrown by somebody actually saying that they, they'd had an experience. As a matter of fact, it's happened in the Bible, right? But they had a problem. And it just it was making me think this morning that what happens when God shows up and he messes with um, the status quo? What happens when God shows up and God, in his infinite wisdom, acts like God, and he, and he alters the liturgy, or he, he changes the order of service, or he does something differently this week than happens every other week. Well, what usually happens, and I've been doing this church thing a long time, so what usually happens is people get irritated. <laughs> God shows up, and he acts like God, and he does God-like things, and we get irritated. And I'm thinking... You know, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I'd really like my heart to be something other than that. I'd like, I'd like to make space on a Sunday morning that if God wants to change what we do, that he's allowed to do that. And that we'll follow uh, where he leads. And so that's my heart. Now I realize that if, you know, if we do that, things could get messy. So I've got to be okay with messy, right? Um, Sometimes I'm concerned that in too many churches, you know, the Holy Spirit's bound up with duct tape and he's in the back corner somewhere. He's in the building, but don't dare do anything. You know, if you do anything, you'll mess up. How dare you? God will mess up our service. I'd rather him mess up the service than have him be bound up. Because I'm concerned that in too many churches, that if God didn't show up, it wouldn't make any difference at all. They would just keep doing what they always do because it's better. It's more organized. It's less messy. It's structured. We get people out of the parking lot in time. You know, if God doesn't mess with our service. Years ago, Nadine and I interviewed for this one church. It was before we came here. and A woman on the phone said to me, she says, I listened to some of your sermons. She said, they're pretty good. She says, but they're too long. She said, my roast is going to burn. <laughs> so, so she had her system in place. That before she left the church, she put the roast in the oven. And by the time she, the church was over, she got back, her roast was done. And so she said, you're going to have to cut those messages in half. 
They didn't hire me. Go figure. But anyway. Oh, God. I want you to... I want you to be at home in your church. <laughs> yes. Lord, we really want you to be at home in your church. I don't have it all figured out, and I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. Would you be kind and gracious to us? Would you show up? Would you do what you want to do? And in the process, train us to follow you as you lead. And Lord, would you pour out grace upon grace for our mistakes and our messes? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? That was for free. It wasn't in the notes. Back to my prepared message. So last week I finished up a 16-message series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, I found that in that letter Paul's passion for freedom just resonated with my soul. And I do hope that you guys enjoyed listening to it, listening to it as much as I had enjoyed preparing it and preaching it. Now, typically, I enjoy preaching series of messages, either topical series or preaching through a book of the Bible, like we've recently done with John and and, uh, Galatians. And so this past week or so, I've been praying and asking God, you know, where do we go next? What should we do next? And I've got to be honest with you, I I don't know. (laughs) It's not clear to me yet. And so I figure I'll just, before I begin another series, I'd like to know that it's really him. And um, I considered a few things. I, I considered going through Acts of the Apostles, but I'm thinking, man, it took us two years to go through John. How long would it take me to get through 28 chapters of Acts? So I looked at Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Peter, and considered all of them. And I don't know, at, at least by, by this week, nothing really settled on my heart. And so I took that to mean just wait. I usually write my sermons on Thursday, Thursday sermon prep day. And I do final edits on Friday. And Gives me Saturday as a buffer in case something happens, and I could be ready by Sunday morning. And so, um, I haven't found what the next series is going to be, either topical or a biblical book. And so, what I thought I'd do today is share with you something else that's been on my heart. What I what I refer to as my one of messages, a standalone uh, one of one of message. And so, the title of today's message is the powerless place. And so, if you would, follow along as we open up with Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10. This is Paul. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained. I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do. Verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me 
a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of saint to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Lord, use me this morning to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving. Lord, I pray that good seed would land on good soil and bear abundant fruit. Lord, make us more like Jesus. Amen? Such a great portion of scripture, isn't it? I really want to focus this morning on the part where God spoke to Paul and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I heard John Paul Jackson say that the height of the mountain is is directly proportional to the depth of the valley. That the height of the mountain is directly proportional to the depth of the valley. Now, St. Paul knew the heights of supernatural experiences in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he knew the depths of a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment him. As a result, God instructed Paul that divine power is made perfect in weakness. I'll get back to that in a second. Let me tell you a story. I call this my Cheeks story. It took place a few years back. Sometimes I get tired of shaving. How about you guys? Anybody ever get tired of shaving? I get tired. Almost every man, right? Now, and with a a shaved head, it's a little fuzzy this morning, but with a shaved head, I get a little bit more real estate to shave than most guys. And so every once in a while, it's like, I just don't want to do it. I can't really put a finger on why, but I just get tired of shaving. And, I mean, you get it, guys, right? And you ladies, too. I mean, at least we're not shaving our legs, right? I mean, you guys got a lot more territory to cover. So some of you may notice, from I've been here for a while now, you may notice from time to time, I get a little scruffy looking. And that's usually about the time I'm about done with shaving. And so every once in a while, it's rare, but I actually get... I seriously consider, maybe I'll just let my hair grow out again. What would I look like if I had a full head of hair? I mean, my, I've been bald for so long, I just wonder. I say, well, you know, what might I look like? And as well as a full beard. I kind of like the beard. Somebody, not to be mentioned, not a big fan of the beard. So back when this story took place, I was about 10 days into my hairy experiment when the notes started showing up. It was early Tuesday morning in April, approximately 7.30 in the morning, and I find this post-it note on my side of the mirror. And this is what it said. Tom, please shave me, love, your cheeks. (laughs) I assume that my my, my cheeks, you know, as amazing as they are, probably had some assistance when it came to the note writing department. I'm just saying But I left the note there, decided not to pay any attention to it, and went about my day. 
And the next morning, you guess what happened? Another note appeared. Right alongside the original. This time it said, Tom, your cheeks are talking. Come on, man. Just pick up the razor. Some cream. Up and down. And I'm clean. I'll feel so much better. I won't leave, I won't leave any more notes. <laughs> Love, cheeks. <laughs> By now you'd think I would have gotten the message, right? Nah, I didn't get the message. Day three. Now, by this time, I noticed a couple of things with this hair growing thing on my head and my face. First off, I realized that there are areas on top of my head where hair no longer grows at all, all right? I thought, like, it was just because it was shaved, but now that hair's coming in, it's like, I'm sitting in a, in a chair in the living room. My daughter comes behind me. The chair was kind of out away from the wall. She comes behind me. She's doing, she's running her finger on the top of my head. I said, honey, what are you doing? I'm tracing your bald spot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. I love you too. Go away. <laughs> the other thing I noticed on day three is that my beard was coming in, all right, but it wasn't even gray anymore. It was just white. It was just pure white coming in. It seems like, you know, I got this goatee, and at least there's some resemblance to gray. When I let the whole thing come in, man, it's white all along the sides. It's like, what is this about? And so on day three, sure enough, there was a third note with just a hint of sarcasm. That'll give you some clue on maybe who's leaving the notes, but it was just a hint of sarcasm in the, in the note on the third day, and it says, I'm starting to feel like Santa Claus. Love, your cheeks. <laughs> so did I take the hint? Nope, of course not. I'm a man. Day four's note was short, to the point, and a bit more aggressive in tone. Hey, Grandpa, shave me. <laughs> Love cheeks. You'd think such a strike at my vanity would hit its mark. But no, instead I smiled, scratched my itchy face, and just went about my day. <laughs> day five. I should interject here that over the past so many days, and when all this took place, I was slowly and leisurely rereading a novel that I enjoyed, one of Ted Decker's books titled Black. And it had become, for me, bathroom reading. I left it in the bathroom, and you know how it goes, and so, you know, that's why I would read this book. I'd read it before, and I was just looking for a little bit of uh, readily available reading material. Too much information, yeah, I'm sorry. So I woke up on day five, and lo and behold, yep, there's another note. But there had suddenly and dramatically been a turn. The stakes had suddenly gone much higher. Apparently, it's not wise to ignore your cheeks by blatantly disregarding their communiques, because this is what day five's note said. You forced our hand. If you ever want to see black again, shave us. Love, your cheeks. Black was the name of the book. So I relented, gave in to the book napper, their demands, and shaved my cheeks. And <laughs> yeah, my cheeks were, were, were the book napper, right. 
And you'll be happy to know my book was safely returned, promptly without injury, and I was greatly relieved. So this all this hair-raising experience so, took about about two weeks, this, this experiment. And, you know, it was funny. Over those two weeks, I didn't look like me. And if truth be told, I didn't feel like myself either over that time period. Emotionally and spiritually, it had been a long and dark, hard season uh, for me. And so I, I think that the scruffy, disorderly outside for myself was more of a reflection of a painful inside. And I've told you guys before that sometimes I have what I call dark days. Sometimes it's a one day and the next day's better. Some days, sometimes one day bleeds into the next and Sometimes I know why, and sometimes I don't know. I don't know why. All I know is that it's a dark day. You guys ever been there? Sometimes you wake up in the morning, and it's like something's off or something's not right, and it's just kind of hard to spiritually or emotionally get on track. It happens to me. And this was one of those kind of seasons. Sometimes it's me. I know it's me. It's my stuff. It's my issues. It's my pride, it's my sin, it's whatever offenses I might be carrying. It's my stuff. Other times, it's not my stuff. It's a spiritual attack. I'm getting hammered with discouragement or disillusionment. Or lies from the enemy. You know what that is, right? Where there's, there's this mocking voice in the back of your head. And it just says negative thing after negative thing. For me, it usually sounds like, the serpent in the garden. You know? Is God good? Hath God said? You know? Always these little digs to try and put some wedge between me and God. To somehow chip away at the trust that I have in Him. And if I listen too long to it, the day gets darker. Now, I certainly would never equate myself to the Apostle Paul. But in similar fashion, like him, I know what it's like to have supernatural experiences. Even a lot of them. Dreams and visions and prophetic revelation. And you know what I've learned, kind of like Paul? Is that even just because you have supernatural experiences or strange spiritual events that are from God in your life, that they don't buy you a pass on the hard stuff of life. You can get revelation, you can hear from God, you can see visions, you could dream dreams and still have to deal with the hard stuff of life. Still have dark days. Still have to fight with the enemy. Sometimes you're still going to fight with people in your life, whether you like it or not. Supernatural experiences, and they're wonderful, and I love having them. I've just learned that they don't buy me a pass on the hard stuff of life. If anything, those experiences, at least for me, it seems to bring my stuff, my issues to the surface. I spent some time in God's presence, and I don't know. What's in me that he wants out of me works its way from the depths to the surface. And I've learned this about God. He doesn't just reveal things to reveal them. I believe he reveals them to remove them. But he reveals them nonetheless. And so at this time in my life, the whole cheek story, 
just weeks earlier, I had finished the first of what would become annual 40-day periods where God would give me spiritual experiences, would give me supernatural experiences in the power of the Holy Spirit for a 40-day period. He would give me visions, 40 visions in 40 days. And this was the first time it happened, and then annually at that same period every year. I think for the next six or seven years, he would give me. He'd give me visions like that. And so I experienced firsthand what John Paul said, that the depth of my valley had been directly proportional to the height of my mountain. I've been to the... You know what? You have 40 visions in 40 days. You're, I'm out. I was in a good place with God. I was meeting with them every day. I was having experiences with them every day. We were about as intimate as we'd ever been. He had prompted, before it started, he said, I'll give you 40 visions in 40 days. And then he did. It shocked me, rocked my world. I'd never experienced anything like it before. And it was so wonderful. It was so awesome. It was so intense that when it was over, I missed him. There was this void. There was a, it was like, it was an emptiness. And so after my mountain experience, there was a valley. How about you? Have you been there? I'd been to the mountain for 40 days, and now I was in the, in the valley. And it felt like I was being squeezed, pressed in on all sides. And I've learned that getting squeezed on the outside is a good way of revealing what's on the inside. And at least for me, it's not always a pretty picture. I will honestly and humbly admit, guys, I'm a broken man. I don't have it all together. Life experiences, good and bad, left, has left their marks on me. And so I've learned firsthand the truth of God's word that says, God's grace is sufficient for me. Because his power is indeed made perfect in weakness. Now, I've told you this before. God doesn't give me dreams and visions because I'm good. He's given me dreams and visions because he's good. He doesn't give me dreams and visions because I'm special. He gives me dreams and visions because he's extraordinary. I'm no more special than anybody in this room. It's just the goodness of God. I think he's, he's made me an example so you can look at this guy and say, if God will give him dreams of vision, he certainly can give me dreams of vision. You know, years ago, when I first was considering entering the ministry, the Lord spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice. It was one of those still small voices. But it sounded just like him. It was clear. And it was one of the things he said to me that has stayed with me my whole life. And this is what he said. He said, Tom, I've chose you not because of your strengths but because of your weaknesses. Oh. So like Paul, I got nothing to boast about. And I'm more convinced of the truth of those words every day. He's chosen me not because of my strengths, but because of my weaknesses. Let me encourage you, listen to what Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So take note of what God chooses. He chooses the foolish of this world and the weak things of this world and the lowly things of this world. The despised things of this world. You ever been despised? And the things that are not. In other words, the powerless. He chooses the powerless. That was Paul. And that was me. I got saved at 16 years old. Leading up to that point in my life, I... I was all these things, the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised. Might be hard to believe, but I was skinny back then. And I had this giant mole on the end of my nose. Years later, I got it removed, but giant mole on the end of my nose. I wore glasses, and my last name was Zawacki. Right? Kids didn't need any more ammunition. Right? Everywhere I turned, there was something they could ridicule. And I think from like the second to the eighth grade, I think I got beat up after school every day. Every day. The despised things. The things that are not. The powerless. That's what he chooses. I like the way the message takes those same verses. It says, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. God chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Boy, I really like the way it says that. The world rejects and despises the weak and broken nobodies, but not our God. Those are exactly the people he chooses. It's exactly the people he chooses. So have you ever felt this way? Have you ever been in the powerless place? I know you have. We've all been there. Do these verses describe how you feel or how you felt about yourself at some point? And be encouraged, my friends. Because there are indeed some very strange and unusual qualifications in God's kingdom. <laughs> His ways really are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. They're better than our ways. We never would have picked David to fight Goliath. Never. And when they were looking for a king, even, even probably the greatest prophet who've ever walked the earth, Samuel, went to Jesse's house that day, and even he looked in the natural to the oldest son, the tallest of them. And God said, no. God chooses who we'd never choose. None of us would have chosen Gideon. Not a one. None of us would have chosen Moses. His ways and not our ways. None of us would have chosen Peter. Surely none of us would have chosen Paul. Okay, 
We have a search committee. We're looking for a new pastor for our church. So let's find the guy who's going from town to town persecuting Christians and putting them in jail. Oh, yeah. Let's make him a senior pastor of our new church. God chose him, right? God chose, God chose Paul. I got no box for that. If I had a thousand choices out of a thousand, Paul never would have made the cut in my world. Never would have happened. And he becomes the most prolific writer of the New Testament. Of course he writes passionately about grace. He experienced extravagant grace. So have you ever felt this way? you ever felt powerless? Be encouraged. Because this is what is said of our God. This is what is said of our Jesus. In Matthew 12, 20, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. You ever felt like a bruised reed? And a smoldering wick. I mean, what do we do with bent grass? We don't even notice it. We don't even recognize it. We just keep on walking. What do we do with, with candles that are burnt so low that there's barely a smoldering wick? Throw it away and get another one. But what it says of our God is a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And you know he's not talking about grass and candles, right? He's talking about people. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about the people in the powerless place. He's talking about us. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. This is what the psalmist wrote about our God. Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves or rescues those who are cr crushed in spirit. We would think, well, I'm, I'm broken. My, I'm a broken person. I'm, so I'm disqualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not pure enough. And so God would be far from me. Somehow, that's some of the whispering lies that find a way and stick inside of our head. But that's not what the book says. The book says exactly the opposite of that. So if that's you, if you feel like you're in the powerless place, power, powerless place, if you feel like that bruised reed, if your wick is barely smoldering, if your heart is broken, this is what the Bible says about our God. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you. You haven't chased him away. He's not repulsed by your brokenness. He's not angry with you. He draws closer. He's close to the broken heart. What parent hasn't had to comfort a child who's come in with skin knees? Or maybe they, they failed at a game. I remember being the starting center fielder on our school's baseball team. And it's, a, it's the opening game of the season, tie game. And uh, I'm sorry, we're up by a run. The bases are loaded, two outs. Fly ball comes to me. Look, I was a good outfielder. I was fast, and I was, but I was nervous. And I go to, if I catch the ball, the game's over. If I miss the ball, we lose the game. 
and the ball hit off the top of my glove, and the other runs came in. I wanted to die. I didn't want to go back to the dugout. I wanted to just keep running in the opposite direction. But I had to go back in. We went there by bus. There was no way for me to get home. And the coach was just a wonderful picture of God. He looked, he brought us all together, he put his arm around me, and he says, we win as a team, we lose as a team. That was a critical moment in my life. Might not sound like a big deal now as an adult, but it was crushing to me then. And we need father figures. We need parents who do that right thing. And that's our God. He's a good, we sing a song, good, good father. He really is a good, good father. And so when we fail, when we're wounded, when we're broken, he doesn't throw us out of the house. He draws us in close. He wraps his arm around us. He loves us. Let me tell you the truth today. God is not repulsed by your brokenness. He's not repulsed by you if you find yourself in a powerless place. That's a lie from the enemy. Unequivocally, the Bible says, the Lord is close to the broken heart. And he saves those who are crushed in the spirit. Have you ever felt crushed? He rescues those who are crushed. He's really that good. We would assume just the opposite. But that's not the God we serve. And Jesus told us as much when he began his ministry. I think of these verses as Jesus' mission statement. He begins his ministry, he goes into the temple, they hand him the scroll, and the verses that he reads, he announces that they're fulfilled in, in their hearing. And this is what he read. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God's ways really are not our ways. This is not what the world does, but this is what our God does. So are you poor? Well, he has good news for you. He has good, encouraging, hope-filled, life-giving news for you. Are you heartbroken? Well, he's come to heal it. Are you blind? Are there things you cannot see? He's come to open your eyes so you can see and understand clearly. Do you feel oppressed? Man, that's an awful feeling, to feel oppressed, to live with that weight. I want you to know, Jesus himself said that he came to set you free. That's our God. I like what Philip Yancey says in his book, What Good is God? The subtitle is In Search of a Faith that Matters, and this is what he writes. He says, I have come to know a God who has a soft spot for rebels, who recruits people like the adulterer David, the whiner Jeremiah, the traitor Peter, and the human rights abuser Saul Tarsus. I have come to know a God whose son made prodigals the heroes of his stories and the trophies of his ministry. Man, isn't that true? Isn't that powerful? 
What if we could see ourselves that way? Especially when we're in the powerless place. That we're God's hero. We're his trophy. What if we could love ourselves that way? Especially when we're weak. What if we could love others that way? Is there somebody in your world who's weak, who's broken? Maybe they're stumbling as they walk. Maybe they need a crutch or two. What if we didn't despise them like God doesn't despise them? What if we treated them like heroes and trophies like God does? What if we love them even when they don't feel lovable? What if we draw close even when they push away and push away and push away and push away? Then we get to be we get to be God's agent. We get to be God's person in their story. We get to be Jesus with skin on and love them even when they don't believe they deserve to be loved. I can give my life for that. Maybe we can love each other that way. I've learned four practical lessons as I've gone through these seasons. And I've gone through them a few times in my life. I'm sure you have too. But here's a couple of practical things I've learned. And I'm, I'm about to close. Enjoy the mountaintops when they come. There are those mountaintop experiences. Hey, when they come, man, dance on top of the mountain, right? Play the music loud. Enjoy every last minute of it. And don't take it for granted. At the same time, don't be surprised about the valleys. Nadine and I have learned this lesson together. We've learned to enjoy the good days, endure the bad days, and just keep going forward. Because there'll be good days and there'll be bad days. Just don't quit. And be encouraged. If you're in a valley right now, there has to be a mountain. It's the way God designed it. Anywhere that there's a mountain on this planet, there's a valley on either side of it. That's how it works. So if you find yourself in a valley today, if you're in the spiritual valley, be encouraged. There is a mountain. And it's not that far away. Look up, and you'll probably see it. Second thing I've learned is that when I'm in the valley, this is what I've learned. I've learned this the hard way, okay? When I'm in the valley, I need to shut up. I do. I need to keep my mouth shut. When I'm in that dark place, not a whole lot of good stuff comes out of my mouth. Sometimes the best thing, the smartest thing I can do is just shut up. The Bible says that even a fool seems wise when his mouth is shut, right? <laughs> so when I'm cranky, I shut up. If I'm feeling critical, I shut up. If I'm offended, I shut up. If I'm discouraged, disillusioned, frustrated, angry, prideful, arrogant, self-righteous, I shut up. It goes better for me if I shut up. <laughs> when I don't look like me, when I'm not feeling like me, it's best for me to shut up. Why? Because there's power in my words. There is power in my words. If I believe that there's truth and there's anointing on prophetic gifting, 
And it's one of the gifts I walk in. You know, it's not like I have an on and off switch. There's power in my words. And once they've exploded, I can't unexplode them. I think this is especially true for me as a father. It's true for me as a husband. It's true for me as a pastor. So I find myself in those dark days, in that powerless place. Sometimes the smartest thing I can do is just keep my mouth shut. Now, I'm talking about whining, complaining, verbally vomiting all over everybody around me. Shut up. Don't do that, right? I'm not talking about when you're in the dark, powerless place. It's good to meet with your pastor. It's good to visit with your counselor. It's good to talk to your best friend. We all need, we all need safe people that we can be brutally honest with when we're in the powerless place. So I'm not talking about that. Sometimes you've got to have your person. You've got to have that person that you can talk to. It's absolutely essential. So I'm not saying don't talk to them. You get what I'm saying, right? I can get off this point. And to, every once in a while, if you do this, I'll know you got the point, and I'll just keep going on. You see the difference. Sometimes we need people who it's safe to just vent with. And we know that they're not going to judge us for it, and they'll let us get it out of our system, and we can go on. Third thing I've learned is my circumstances do not define me. My circumstances do not define me. I am not defined by my circumstances. I am not who I appear to be on my best day, and I am not who I appear to be on my worst day. <laughs> I like the mountaintops, not a big fan of the valleys, but neither one of those experiences define who I am. God defines me. He has called me by name, and I'm his. Who I am is what he says about me. And I've got to tell you what, it's always better and kinder than the words that would come out of my own heart. So your circumstances do not define you. It's just your circumstances. And circumstances change. Lamentations tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning. You know what that means to me? Is I got a fresh start every day. Brand new beginning. The slate is wiped clean. His mercies are new every morning. And Ephesians 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy. He chooses me. He defines me. And he loves me. And he loves you too, which takes me to number four. Fourth thing is that Papa loves me. He loves me on the mountaintop. He loves me in the deepest valley. He always loves me. He loves me in the powerful place. And he loves me in the powerless place. He loves me when I'm strong. He loves me when I'm broken. He loves me when I'm fuzzy or if I'm clean shaven. He always loves me. Never changes. Never wavers. It's the one constant in all the universe. Is that our God is love. He is the essence of love. It is his nature. He, he loves because he is love. And that never changes. His love for me 
has never been dependent upon my behavior or my performance. Hallelujah. Thank God. <laughs> that he always loves me. In the powerless place, I got to remind myself that the Father loves me. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like he does. So let's pray. Angie, why don't you come back up? Whew. So God, we come before you this morning, and some of us are in a powerful place here today, but others are in a powerless place. So we pray, Lord, in our weakness, in all of our weaknesses, however they're defined, Come and be strong, like your word says. May your power be made perfect in every area that we're weak. Lord, touch our hearts with the truth that you chose us, that you defined us, that you knew what you were getting into when you picked us, that you factored our stupidity into our destiny. Let us know the truth. And let it set us free. Lord, be near to every broken heart in this room today. Yes. Bind them up like you said you would. And set each one free. And Lord, I pray that you would pour out your love on our brokenness. And as we experience your love, enable us, empower us, make us capable of loving the others in our lives and their weakness, and in their brokenness as well. Amen? So before we close with a final song, I want to know if there's any words of knowledge this morning. Anybody have anything to share? Okay. Then um, if you need prayer this morning...